Welcome to the True Folk Podcast. My name is Matt, and this week I'm excited to share a conversation I had with Christopher Arp, the lead guitarist for the band Psyopus. Through this conversation, we not only gain insight into his development as a musician and his writing process, but his thoughts on the current state of guitar-based music and what he's been working on recently. We also glanced over a myriad of other topics that have kind of shifted the way that I personally perceive and listen to music as a whole. But without giving too much away, here's my interview with Christopher Arp of Psyopus. If you just want to give our listeners a little quick history, quick blurb on when you started music to right now, how did we get here? I was always a big fan of music. I worshipped Weird Al Yankovic when I was a little kid. So I started off, you know, um, when I was a young uh, quick-minded pipsqueak you know I would always challenge kids in school give me any song and I'll you know do a Weird Al-esque redo on it and I usually could do a pretty good job of that so that was starting in an elementary school and that just kind of stuck with me until eighth grade I wanted a CD player and my father said he would buy me a guitar for Christmas and we could go get it in November so even though I really wanted a CD player more than the guitar, the ability to get a Christmas present a month early, you know, the, the delay of gratification was not a concept I put very much value in. So my dad bought me a guitar, the house guitars, the first time I went there. It's like a Guinness Book of World Records holding um, music store in Rochester. And um, I, I just started playing all the time. I didn't really, um, it's a surprise that I passed the grades of school I did. My, my general routine would be wake up for school at 6.30, get to school, come home, sleep until about 6 or 7, play guitar until 3 or 4 at night, go to bed for a couple hours, do it again. And I'd bust off what homework I could before class or whatever. But I just played a lot of guitar and I um, always had romanticized ideas of my future being wrapped around guitar for a number of different reasons. It was a great disassociation for myself. It gave me hope. And um, it was something I was just always very passionate about. So I played a lot of guitar. And since I could afford so much of the time at that age to playing guitar, I got good pretty quick. But I didn't really get in any bands until I was like 21. I learned a lot of Metallica, Megadeth, all the thrash era from the 80s and stuff. Uh, Dimebag from Pantera and Marty Friedman were like my favorite guitarists. And um, Metallica was great because you had all the easy abstractions of how to play the songs, but you still got introduced all the chops required to actually play the songs. And then um, Dave Mustaine, Megadeth was like my favorite band at that point. And he, he just had a different analytical approach to how you put music together. So I, I finally joined a, a buddy's band when I was like 21. I played one show with him. And uh, from that point on in the scene, I was called uh, Prom Date. Mm -hmm. uh, that was my nickname because my girlfriend at the time, it was her prom, but it was also the first day of our, or it was the first show I had ever done, which was like a big fucking deal. So I'm like, look, I'm going to go play this fucking underground metal show. <laughs> and you can just wear, and she was like wearing her prom date dress and everything. And, and then I didn't ever play another show with them it, uh, just because it's just the way that band went. After that, I finally put together a band called Sex Maze, and, and it was like um, carnival esque. I was influenced by the thrash metal, Faith No More. Mr. Bungle, those like, you know, changing the bounds of music, kind of taking it, being silly, but creative at the same time. And um, System of a Down happened, like the new metal thing was happening. I didn't, I didn't get too overwhelmed with uh, the new metal, dun, 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 like the double hit rhythms, but a lot of the unorthodox guitar playing, you know, just like using weird pedals, weird sounds, kind of like thinking outside the box that happened. And then I got into um, the underground metal scene and 
There's this band called Lethargy that was huge for me. Bill and Braun from the band Mastodon were in it, but it was like a tech metal version of what Braun, the drummer, does. Um, The Rochester scene that I was a part of, it usually is a pretty dense scene with a lot of talent, a lot of um, technically proficient death metal kind of zany styling, you know, as far as the reps and stuff go, it definitely has a uh, interesting, unique scene. So being exposed to that, I started um, working on the the material for Psyopus, which is what I probably got the most notoriety from. So started working on that and it just like couldn't find anyone to do it with me. So I was just writing the songs on my own recording them like with a drum machine and you know eight track or four track at the time and handing out cds to people in the scene just going look i'm trying to start this band does anyone want to do it you know eventually i found those people and we started playing shows and we we blew up pretty quick um we were like on the top of the charts on mp3.com back when that was happening and um we got really popular on myspace um I think like towards the end, we had like 350,000 like friends on there. Uh, we, we got picked up for our first album on uh, Black Market Activities, which is a label put together by Guy Koswick of the band The Red Chord. And then we got signed to Metal Blade Records, which we put our next two albums out. And I still, if I was to put another Psyopus album out, <laughs> I'd be with them. Um, and uh, yeah, and then we just started touring, touring, touring. And um, I got endorsed by Ibanez Guitars. And I started writing a column for Decibel Magazine. And then um, I also got picked up to play guitar for Hank Williams III, the country cat. Um, he had uh, he has this um, metal band called Ass Jack. And I would go on tour with them and uh, play lead guitar for 45 minutes at the end of the set for the metal portion of his like 20 hour set he plays every night so that was really really cool so between 2003 and 2009 i um did over a thousand shows um mostly throughout the the states did canada to get to play russia always had some hiccups before we got over to europe which is something i regret put out three albums for psyopis and then 2009 i we were touring on the for the last last psyopis album and um, I, I just got tired with there's just with lineup changes and trying to keep the ball rolling without I, I, I worked so, 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 so hard. And I was completely sober during that entire time. Didn't drink anything, didn't smoke pot, didn't do anything. But I was just working, working, working. There's a saying that um, a busy musician is a successful one, you know, and I really was like I would do a Psyopus tour the, the day I got off of my Psyopus tour. I would fly to wherever Hank's tour bus was in the U.S. and jump on with them and um it was awesome i'm happy i did it but it, I, I got super burnt out so um i ended up taking a break um middle of 2009 and then um ever since then outside of like a few one-off shows reunions we did a few shows through canada um i never really decided to take that seriously again like the the metal stuff I also at the uh, at the end of that I had just like um I just wasn't listening to metal at all like the band Psyopus was such a um there was so much that went into that um but certain ingredients that went into it were like that um elitist attitude that you find with metalheads you know the the ones that would call other people posers and say something's not brutal enough and I was just trying to out fuck music and be as experimental, push the boundaries of music to the best of my ability, to, of metal music. In the process, and, and also it being like towards 
the beginning of my 30s, I already heard so much metal music. And it really was like, I, it was just so much regurgitation from what was going on before, you know, so I've been like living on the edge fringes where like, you know, only on occasion would there be a band that would really stand out that would get me excited, like the Dillinger Escape Plan, they were really exciting when Calculating Infinity came out. And then you had bands like the Locust and the West Coast that were just like crazy weird effects, punk energy. And then you had Daughters, which was like artsy Rhode Island kind of I don't even know how to describe them, <laughs> but they're they're enough of a unique band that was like, all right, there's something new, you know, but then otherwise, you know, not discrediting the bands I'm about to mention, but you only need to hear Black Dahlia Murder once. You only need to hear Hate Read once. You only need to hear the band Death <laughs> once. You know, they're just there's only so many death metal bands you can take. And I just lost interest in that. And because I had been spending so much time developing all of Psyopus with fringe concepts that it's just like, you know, I, I just couldn't get high off of it anymore. You know, there's no higher peak for me at that point or a drive to try to find it, you know, had been gone. So all I was doing was listening to everything else at that point. You know, I was listening to Jeff Buckley religiously. Um, Fleetwood Mac Rumors is still my favorite album. And I was just realizing there was all these other um, and also you know, I had I have some troubling family of origin issues, you know, when we're talking about artists and what drives people and stuff like I had a lot of family of origin issues that on top of me being in my 30s, hormonally changing as a as an individual, I just didn't have that same aggressive, fuck you energy in me that I had before because the hormones were gone, I had come to peace with things in my life, you know, I also didn't feel like I had to prove anything to anyone anymore, you know, and I think for better or for worse, that steam inside my spirit, just like causing pressure made me write what I wrote. And I just don't relate to those ideas anymore. At least I can relate to them as like, let's sit back and contemplate what they meant and where they came from. You know, I can explain that stuff. But if I'm just meandering through my life every day, um, I have different emotional responses and different ideas on what the meaning of any given situation is. So, you know, I just didn't give a fuck about being a brutal, crazy metalhead anymore. <laughs> so I did like pushing the envelope of guitar. I do appreciate all the other, so many of the other emotional contours in life, like, or in music rather, not uh, life as well, but like music. Like, so I started this other project, um, Tulukona Gaia, that I started, got the drums and the percussion recorded. And then I started doing the guitar stuff. And it's like this, I, I call it my Afro-Cuban jazz fusion, effeminate coffee shop, rock club music, jam band, whatever. I like, I do, I love club music. And I like heavy theory shit. So like, and I like to noodle on my guitar. So the jazz fusion components there. And then because I like the extreme fringes of music, like a lot of, there's a lot of Afro-Cuban Latin music going on because those rhythms are far more interesting. Plus they're, they're different, you know, um, not that you can't be exposed to them now, but I really wanted to kind of have that be a focus. And then again, Jeff, Jeff Buckley is one of my heroes. So that like melancholy kind of emotional tones too, all those in a blend. Somehow I, I got that to make sense. But all of a sudden now in my life and I'm home because I stopped doing the touring shit, I all of a sudden started dividing up my time amongst other things besides music. Because up until that point, it was all or nothing because it, it was very important for me to do the music thing or else I would like perish. It, you know, psychologically, I just felt that way. It was like I needed to feel to feel OK about who I was. 
I felt good about who I was. I took a break. I'm starting to hang out with girlfriends I'm dating. And, and then like, next thing you know, um, I'm not putting the same amount of energy into it. And then I just got distracted. And that leads up to today, like, you know, five years have probably passed since I did that. I'm trying to get that ball rolling again. When I was doing the full-time music thing, I could afford all of the time in the world to just wake up whenever I want to, sleep whenever I want to, write whenever I want to, so, you know, obsess about whatever concept I want to obsess about forever and ever. And now yeah, I have a little less energy because I'm getting towards the end of my 30s. <laughs> and, you know, I have my puppy, I have my bills I have to pay, and um, I have, you know, only so much time during the day. But I'm not giving up. I'm trudging the road to happy destiny, if you will. So yeah, so that's me in a nutshell, just playing guitar, try to finish that project. I do a lot of online guitar lessons. And then I have my website where I wrote my books that I sell, um, www.explodingfingers.com, <laughs> which I'd like to do more work on that. But it's like I want to do, again, it's time. The great thing with Psyopus was a lot of the theory that I came up with. I have a gift for musical abstraction as far as theory goes. I've been primarily self-taught. I did go to school. It was usually like me just giving up at that point, going like, all right, what, what am I going to do for a formal music career? So I was blessed to come up with my own theory with that. And then now that I changed towards like a, a, a jazz paradigm, I learned a number of traditional concepts, but I've been able to utilize some of my gifts now where I'm starting to see new musical structures and, and ways to approach creating music, whether it's improv or composition. Uh, a lot of really, really great ideas that I'm excited about and, and it, it's inspiring. The only thing is with the composition component, which was Psyopus, you could just focus on a specific idea and like, you know, tweak it and just build off of all your brilliant ideas. With the improv, <laughs> you have to like, I got this idea and I have to master it in a zillion fucking ways. And that, you know, it, it's just hard to afford all the time required to master all these great ideas you have because it's just, there's just so many more dimensions to mastery in improv than there is in just general composition. But I don't want to like wimp out, you know, like I want to fucking own it. <laughs> so like, I've been patient, you know, ever, ever since when we were in school, like I, I started taking the jazz thing very serious and it's been a few years and I'm grateful that I didn't give up because I can see how I've grown and how things are manifesting. And if I'm just patient, time will continue. And if, as long as I'm like persistent, I, I should have rewards worth having, at least as far as I see it, you know, if, if I just stick with it, but it's, it, it is sometimes tempting to just like simplify shit and just compose instead of just trying to become an improv master. But I, I gear a lot of my guitar lessons towards that. And I would like to write more of the theory books. It's just finding the time to do it. And especially because when you write them, even though you're super proud when it's done, it's like a homework assignment, man. <laughs> you know, I'm not in school right now, <laughs> you know, and it's a homework assignment that you really give a fuck about. So you're going to put all the time into it and it's just like hours and hours each time you write one of these books and but pick and choose what you can do and then just trying to exercise all the time so i can actually maintain energy because my energy is depleting as i get older it sucks but whatever now the system to me it almost sounds like an upside down like anti counterpoint system like an anti box sort of almost instead of going for harmonious sounds and perfect intervals like the opposite of that would you liken it but to something like the relative that? interval theory yeah. well here's the weird thing with that when i think of bach the, the introduction of amazingly complex harmonies and where there are definitely elements of harmony that were developed in that. 
it's especially compared to Bach, it's very linear. It's very melodic. It's almost lacking that dimension. It's atonal. It can be atonal. It, it really can. And I, and I think some of the more effective music is atonal, but you can still utilize the same rules of being aware of recognizing that these intervals will work in certain areas and you can then use those rules and remain diatonic to a scale or, or whatever. So you can, you know, have tonal centers and stuff, but, you know, it not having tonal centers would kind of like work against Bach. Um, the idea that it's so linear, it's so melodic, it almost doesn't have to want to consider what harmony it's going to be in or anything. Um, so it loses its its um, consonant harmonic value as an exchange for being able to make ridiculously tense melodic lines that at times can be, this is the best description I can have for it. Okay, at times it can be like, all right, so you just have a chord and you arpeggiate it. All right, so we know that it represented the chord. It's the A minor chord and it went A, C, E, A, C, E all over the place. But say it had like a static rhythm. All right, so it like just was an ambience. You could almost create that ambience with this as well, but it's an ambience of absolute tension. And the intervals, the, the key intervals that create the sound, oversimplifying it, are these evil intervals, minor second tritone, and then what I call the acid intervals, which are the um, major seventh and the minor ninth. Utilizing tritones, major sevenths and minor ninths quite a bit, those are wide jumps. Um, so we're already saying fuck you to traditional melodies. And then you're also not worrying about a key particularly. You're just more aligned, just kind of hearing how you can set up these intervals together. And obviously the artistry is making it cool despite the fact of like, look, I'm just making the most tense sounds I possibly can. You know, they, you're really trying to be a little more creative than that. But at times it can just be like, if you were to just have a wall of like arpeggiated notes, um, you could do the same thing in theory it's just they aren't particularly making your traditional chord, nor are you even trying to to have the effect of a traditional chord, but you're still creating this endless wall of these like certain types of tensions. Um, but yeah, like, uh, and then the chord, a lot of, um, you know, I really did, I do, I do realize that, you know, the chords we hear, um, we put our, we've been trained to put the values on them as they are. And that, you know, and even consonants, if you will, is like a trained kind of like value, I did develop an ear for a combination of these like different dissonant, if you will, chords where they did start to sound very consonant for me. And I could hear, you know, I've got rules of how to contrast certain chords with each other to create certain effects, which is far easier to like, you have to explain the chords <laughs> and start explaining how these chords work with each other and all that. But, but that's still box like a whole nother avenue of just um very complex harmonies and lines working together to result in polyphony that's bachly <laughs> you know and bach we still remember you know what is it like 400 years later if i can't do the math he was the 1600s so yeah i mean it would be more along the lines of um Mozart with the notes flying all over the place because that was the other thing like a lot of um bipolar dynamics you know, from like the the slowest, ugliest, most miserable moment to the most spastic blast beats and the highest register notes. And 
so much of the music really relied on the value of the intervals. Like when everyone else in the world that was playing anything heavy was tuning down their guitar, even drop D or whatever. To this day, everything I did was in standard tuning, you know, except for one song. There was one song where <laughs> I tuned the guitar uh, six string. I tuned the bottom three like a flat B. So B, F sharp, B. And then the top three were all B strings <laughs> tuned B, C, and C sharp. So I could bar like stack minor seconds. There's a lot of different tricks you could do. So you had these really ugly minor second chords you could do just by barring. And then um, and this song was called The Burning Halo. There's this like, uh, I- I'm doing like these sweet picking different like harmonics. So you had that different tonality and attack from a harmonic. And they're bleeding into each other because I'm doing that economy picking thing and it's moving all around. It just caused a really eerie, eerie effect. And then, of course, it was tuned down, you know, but yet I still had riffs that had everything to do with like decompressing the whammy bar, just go even lower, lower because it was just, all right, how extreme can we go with this? So that was pretty cool. But yeah, otherwise, I did everything else in standard tuning. I remember we right when we started, we played a show with Ion Dissonance in Buffalo and they play, you know, that was when people were just trying to more and more people were using the seven strings. It, it still hadn't taken over like it did now, but it was like post corn still, right? And fucking the they are from Quebec and they always come off as if they are better than you. And I remember the one guitarist coming up to me and saying, um, you really like that high pitched stuff? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I'm like, no, my band fucking blows, dude. <laughs> but, but, um, but that's the thing. I would like use the full range of my fretboard. You know, I just was going all over the place. And yes, creatively speaking, if I had more strings on my guitar, I would have more options. If I tune lower, I could embrace the more brutal side of guitar, I suppose. But I just never felt like I was running out of ideas that I, I needed to stop everything and, and change that. So I didn't for better or for worse. Let's say starting with Led Zeppelin two. Okay. It seems like bands have been trying to get darker, more brutal, more just beat you over the head intense. Is that sort of avenue? Has it been expanded upon to where it's like it's redundant and self-indulgent now? Because if you if you listen to like gent bands, grindcore bands, like a lot of these metal offshoots that are just like, let's tune down to drop Z. Is that even worth exploring now? Or is now in order to make the most like brutal music possible to just to try to like get into the inner workings of theory and trying to make just like really disturbing, weird sounding stuff? Right. I think that there's always an avenue for exploration. I think people have been dark centuries before that the tragedies of the romantic era you know uh, romeo and juliet's pretty miserable that was a sign of a lot of the art that was going on around the time during the the turn of the century with all the the schoenberg and the serialism and um you know breaking the bounds with the audio tapes and all that stuff you know that was them pushing boundaries if you will and then they had the free jazz movement in the 60s you know which was pretty ridiculous I got two Coltrane, po- you know, prints right up there. I, I I worship Coltrane through the hard bop and everything. And after reading a number of his books and and wanting to know what the fuck is going on, I mean, I can <laughs> the free jazz movement. I don't blame anyone for not wanting to spend their time to figure it out. But there is something very visceral to be respected about it. Analytically, as a musician, I can respect the ability to push the bounds and see what the hell is going to happen. There's an intensity that I don't gravitate towards so much these days in the the span of my life. But there was a time in my life, especially during Psyopus, where I would have tried to tap into that. And in fact, actually, the the very first song on our last album, 44, is just like a noise fuck fest. And I, I was grabbing that more from like some of the crazy experimental grind stuff I did, not really 
having had spent the time in studying what was going on with the free jazz movement. I, I had heard that like, you know, Coltrane, his father was a, a, a priest and they grew up in one of those like Southern churches where they're like speaking tongues and shit, you know, just wigging out. I can see a comparison between a woman freaking out, quote unquote, speaking tongues in some hot Sunday church in Alabama and him getting on stage and just wigging out on the saxophone, you know, doing the free jazz stuff. And so that was the 60s. And then the end of the 60s, Sabbath and Paige <laughs> started rocking it. And, and there was still even, you know, Satanism and crazy. Like, I remember one thing I thought that was really interesting was the Great Plague that killed like a third of the population in Europe, right? And then after that was the the Renaissance. But like everyone had known people who they were close to had died during this period. Imagine what that's just going to affect, how that's going to affect the psyche of an entire like generation of a like continent, right? And then interestingly enough, after it happened, everyone was flourishing because there was so much land. Um, they could afford to raise other produce than what was practical because they actually had a lot of land and they didn't have to be responsible for so many people. The kings didn't have the same control over the masses that they did. So they had to work a little bit more on their own. So there was like some level of liberty there. So that afforded more artistic energy because that uh, Maslow's or, you know, that pyramid of, uh, of needs or whatever from mm -hmm. the physical yeah. to like the spiritual, mm -hmm. like self-awareness stuff. Like it allowed more energy for that. And then when you look into the Renaissance, here comes tons and tons of like skulls and skulls, skulls, skulls and death and the images of death. And like, cause everyone now had this very, very close relationship with death when they could just any day know people just who, who died, you know, they're just losing people left and right. So dark art came from that era, you know? You know I think it's a part of the human condition that there's always gonna be I won't say always because that's so absolute and I hate dealing with absolutes, but there's enough there that it's reasonable to think people will still be working through their troubles and that human dissonance, the dissonance of the spirit, if you will, whether it's, you know, young boys and their hormonal angst or if it's just because their mother didn't care about them or they're just frustrated and they don't know how to deal with whatever or their hyperspazes and they just want to hear really, really quick music, you know, because that's just who they are. Let's just brainstorm all the reasons why someone would be into um, heavy, intense, extreme music. But as far as where is it going from this point forward, you know, I don't know what for it is. If if I I still think a lot of the Psyopus stuff is pretty forward thinking, even for the music that's going on now. After Psyopus, like the EDM music and the schizophrenia and the the quirky noise and stuff. I mean, a lot of that, which would have seemed like hard for the mind to grasp with Psyopus, that's what they're doing now. Now they do heavy, more consistent rhythm. I really was challenging people in their their time conception. You know, like. How are they going to find the pulse of this song? Uh, you know, a lot of those experiments. There are some songs I would rewrite now, or I'd say that didn't work as well as I thought it did, but at least I tried, right? I think uh, Andy Warhol came up with this idea that if like you don't fall flat in your face every once in a while, you're not really trying to do anything all that impressive in the first place. I, I don't know if the seven string, eight string, nine strings are here for good, or if there will be a um, simplification. Because I think a lot of times it could be argued they probably both will probably happen. You know, I, I don't think... um. You know, they're like, fuck, this piano just has so many more options than the harpsichord. Eh, let's just go back to harpsichord anyways, you know, so whatever. It seems that like the, uh, 
I, I don't know why the more than six string guitars would ever necessarily go away for that particular genre of music, especially with uh, because of the low register. I mean, I've thought about that. Like if I was to do another Psyopus album, would I just stick to my guns with a six string just because I have the license to? <laughs> or should I go, all right, well, this is another horizon that I haven't just spent so much time on. Let's see what I can do with that. But I'm still way into my improv right now. I don't think I would. But anyways, um, you probably can't always go faster. You can't always go slower. You can always go uglier, um, meaner. Who knows what the next ingenuity will be or what it will look like. Dillinger Escape Plan, I think they're the the last real notable like scene changers for me. Because like I, I think there's a lot of other impressive groups that came out after them, but I don't see how any of them really kind of stirred up the scene like the Dillinger Escape Plan did with uh, Calculating Infinity because they came up with that padded and chaotic rhythm. I, I once read the, an analogy of it being a New Jersey street fight, and that kind of makes sense. You know, like the super tight, but super crazy, super aggressive, like, and it didn't really sound particularly good. And I could, I would never fault anyone for not wanting to hear it, but blended with all the other components of what Dillinger had to offer, especially during Calculating Infinity, that album, it was great and it was new and it was different. Like before that, it was palm muting and power chords for thrash riffs. Just the sound of distortion with palm muting, you know, that was exciting for a period of time. Blast beats were kind of cool. The grind thing, that that was a, a cool feature. Also the uh, corn, a lot of these things have been done at other times in certain ways, but like I think what corn did with like the minor seconds, kind of adding that new, uh, ingredient to what metal could be, you know, that that those minor seconds kind of had an interesting dissonant effect. So like, I know Dillinger added some of those like minor second harmonies between two guitars that you'll hear more often. Right now, the players generally are better. So you can kind of expect a lot more sweet picking, tapping, and then like, you know, some um, flashy harmonies, you know, between like, you know, like, look, if I lick this string and put my left hand behind my right hand on the fretboard while I do some goofy thing and like do my wow up and down while he's doing the same thing, but backwards, like that's a cool effect, you know, like that stuff will happen. But I, I still the especially because I, I don't know if it's a U.S. thing to me. I think I think more of the U.S. has that like analytical death metal, non-Western traditional diatonic tonality kind of thing. Um, I think we have a lot more of that over here. And I think I think there's a lot of cutting edge and and punk rock in the in the sense that it's just doing what you fucking want to. And then you have, you know, more of like I, I just like to lump it as Swedish metal, <laughs> you know, just like the more melodic sounding Iron Maiden, uh, Black Dolly Murders from, you know, Michigan, but like that kind of like melodic metal core. Uh, triplets dun, 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 like that kind of jazz which is great it has its sound it has its fan base no one's knocking it but i mean i don't see envelopes being pushed so will it be the use of pedals uh, different i mean that's a great question you just like meditate on it for a while that's basically what i did with Psyopus quite a bit you know uh, yeah i remember one time there's this one song called x and y where I was doing some weird shit and i did like one of those like um one of those guitar websites they're like yo show us how to play this and and I did it and I pointed it out and I think it's really cool and different. And obviously I have a different developed ear for it because it's like my art that I've been working on forever. So I am not a fool. I understand that people are going to be like, you're a fucking idiot sometimes, you know, but I remember reading the re reviews 
and or, or you know or like the different comments people put and they're like this sounds like one of those um on youtube those those tracks where they have people pretending to play guitar over them like uh say i have Ingve malmstein a video and he's like all right now i play this guitar and they show the video of him playing but then someone is like overdubbing some bullshit like and like i can't remember what they're called but they're like there's a phenomenon of them are you familiar with what i'm talking I, about i don't think i've ever seen those oh they're so funny the best ones like creed they'll show like a live concert with creed and they'll have just like people playing bad music over it um some people were like kind of giving it like it sounds like someone's like purposely playing stupid shit you know and i get it i could defend it but i get it you know but yeah it, i think that's that's the kind of spirit you need to kind of like push the browns and just figure out like do everything wrong and and see what sticks and see what is inspiring and because doing it right means that you're doing what's already been conformed to somewhat i guess no one thing i don't know if you've noticed this uh if you have younger students but one thing i noticed is even today in 2017 these preteen guitarists or, or teenage kids when they're getting into music it's still like the same stuff I was getting into 10, 12 years ago. Right. Like, uh, when they're learning guitar, they're still learning Seven Nation Army or like Iron Man or like quintessential rock tunes. Led what, Zeppelin did, riffs, Metallica yeah. riffs. Now, and it leaves me wondering, like, did rock peak? Is that it? This is the quintessential time for rock. These like almost classic rock era. Like, what? why is that? Why, why do we kind of stop there? People kind of enter, enter there. The first thing I was thinking was, has it peaked? And that would suppose that you know where it's going from here. So I don't know. But... Like I said earlier, one thing I did notice is just over the years and years and decades, it's still the same old rock heroes. Like we could go to Barnes and Nobles, go to the guitar section, and nine out of 10 of them are going to be Hendrix, Stevie Ray Vaughan, John Petrucci, Dream Theater, fill in the blank, staple old guitar heroes from the 70s and 80s and into the 90s. Or you're going to have Tosin. Dosen's like the one dude who who kind of transcended that got more attention. Like there's like the the, uh, the dudes from um I, I didn't particularly care. The Dragon Force dudes kind of okay, existed yeah. for a minute. I want to say Trivium and they probably did just because they were selling albums. Nickelback is like the the process pop of of guitar rock, you know, or, or you know, they're light alt rock. And so they're mainstream enough, but it's still technically shit you can play on guitar and they're still technically playing you know, tens of millions of albums to worker ants and around the country. So you're going to sell albums that way, but they're not inspiring anyone, you know? So that's kind of sad. So like, I don't know who's inspiring people today. And then White was, does some pretty interesting stuff. Uh, the very real, real truth is I do have a respect from him at a distance. My friends got really into the white stripes and everything he did, the three G records. Um, and they're all people who I have a great respect for. So without investigation, my prejudices, the guy's got more going on for him than I think. And over the time, I found more and more respect for the guy. I just got exposed to him at a time when I was just taking a completely different avenue in music. And not for nothing, it's like he's kind of got a new sound for rock, but it's still rock and already did rock, you know? So maybe... All right, so like say then, you know, there we can use like metal and rock and jazz as like these blanket terms. It seems like you have Wilco who's doing rock and they'll do like more of their experimental stuff when they go up um, on stage and they, they kind of push the bounds with some of, they, they push some sonic boundaries despite the fact that they kind of have like a mellow jam band hippie feel, even not so much jam band, even though I'm sure they have. 
the improvised, but they're kind of like hard folk rock kind of band at times where they experiment at the same time. So that, you know, that's, I mean, they've been around enough, but they're, I could still say they're contemporary to a degree. There are other like more experimental thing, like St. Vincent, you know, w- would you say they're not rock? You know, would you say she's not rock? I mean, she's doing some pretty weird things, weird timings. Um, I think engineering has a lot more to do with what we're listening to now. And with the engineering, it's still relatively new. So there's far more um, boundaries to break. Like, uh, for example, again, I love club music. And I was just, I was in, um, I, I was buying this pillow at Target yesterday. And um, more often than not, when I'm walking around my everyday life, I'm listening to the Kesha channel on Pandora. All right. And one of my favorite top 40 songs, club top 40 songs, is uh, that, um, I'll call it a duet. <laughs> it might, that might not be the, the best term, but it definitely will work. Um, between Lady Gaga and Beyonce about the the song about the the tell like stop calling stop I don't know how familiar you are with this shit but the the, the course is like stop calling stop calling I don't want to talk anymore da, da, da. it's basically her saying the entire time that it, her boyfriend's calling her but she's at the fucking club and she's not answering the fucking phone so fucking back off but as as I was listening to it so much of the vocals from beginning to end are just manipulated by engineering, not just like, you know, we're using a different like effect we're running it through, but they'll like literally chop up the syllables and and place them in different spots to hit the rhythms just right. I mean, you'll hear, we, we could spend a lot of time analyzing that, but there's a lot of just like new horizons, I think with engineering there. And um, and then even with the EDM scene, you know, like, like now if you're watching just regular media, um, it's not unheard of to hear like a, rock and hard metal background to a commercial or something that 15 years ago would never happen. But now even on like on a car commercial, you'll hear some like extreme EDM music, you know, like these like alien sex sounds. Right. And um, that's pretty dissonant. That's pretty edgy. If you really think about it, I mean, the EDM thing's been going on probably for like 15 years now. I assume I don't, I'm not the biggest expert. I can write a book on it, but I know it's been around longer than, I'm giving it credit by saying it's completely contemporary, but or or like right now, that's where it looks like there's a lot of boundaries being done. Also, if you were to they've done this before, but I'm assuming you could push even more boundaries with like, you know, it's the the metal band playing with a click track. Then that allows like the bigger production of, you know, the, the weird electronic sounds that are synced up and stuff like I remember Static X would do that. Not like that would be the most impressive, but that was, you know, like 20 years ago. What what bands are capable of doing now is probably far more impressive. So where is rock going? It's probably going in that direction. I don't know. I mean, anything in the old, just like a four piece, guitar, bass, drums, vocalists, and, and any of it's like relatively close, like cousins, you know, like maybe two guitars, a, you know, a piano. I think that can still happen. I think it could be good. And I think it could even be creative and refreshing enough to do some cool shit. That's what I'm trying to do in my Tulu Konagaya project right now. But do I think that's going to start? The only way I see that starting a new scene, particularly, is if there's just a polarizing backlash of like, all of a sudden we need simplicity. Just like over the centuries, it every crazy edgy music movement would always turn back to some form of nationalistic folk music. We've been seeing a big folk music thing for like the last like five to 10 years. I'm just getting into some of it. Like it never really interested me. 
based off of me just thinking it was everything it was before. And in some degrees it is, but at the same times, there are some new sounds and new voices and new angles on stuff, but it's still folk. You know, it, it, the thing I'm thinking about now is like, um, all right, so obviously the world is smarter now. The amount of information that we have available, we're exposed to far more. Our abilities are higher now. We can record at home. We can make really crazy sound. Like before, you know, I could see it being like everything anyone could do to just save up to buy a guitar, let alone an amp. And I'm thinking about, all right, there's, um, was it the road less traveled? They talk about how in relationships, there's like these three tiers that you go through cyclically. And that, that first that first tier is that like honeymoon phase where you're just head over heels in love with that person. Now you're not actually in love with that person, but it sure as fuck feels good and it feels like you're in love and why not enjoy it? It's the games we play, right? So you go through that and the other person can do no harm. And the other person is assuming you can't do any harm. And you're just like, Where my life is so complete. You're there in my life. I don't know how I can live without you. Everything just is like this was meant to be, life is just gonna be paradise from here on in. So you totally put this other person on a pedestal. Then the second phase is when all of a sudden you kind of chill out and you become self-willed and you're, you're just doing your own thing. All right, like, you know what? It's time to start giving a shit about what I want to do in my life a little bit more. I guess that would probably be the same on the other side of the street. You know, this is a relationship thing, right? The third tier is when you come up with the conflict that happens when you have two people with individual wills trying to live together. So you have this conflict and somehow you're going to solve this problem. Now, however you solve it, you know, usually the first conflict isn't so bad because most people can generally get along with other people. The idea is that once you work through that first issue, then the cycle begins again. And at that point, that's when you're actually technically in love with the individual, right? And that's like you've worked through stuff. You've emotionally gone through this, this thing. So why am I bringing this up? The idea is that as the relationship continues, you just keep doing these cycles and you just do them until you can't finish doing them anymore. But the relationship becomes more and more complex. So more and more of these cycles start spinning around. And maybe if you have too many cycles and conflict all at once, then the levy breaks, right? What I'm thinking in, in that, I just had this imagery of that with just like, who knows if all of the music scenes now are just going to perpetually be like spinning around like that. Like, I mean, I'm sure... Oh, I know that during all of the music eras of the past, you know, you still had someone who could just play the, you know, uh, what are those old guitars, the five string guitars, the, the lute. Yeah. You know, you had the lute, but you also had your orchestras, you know, like, yeah, okay. That happened. But now there's just so many options. Like if we wanted to spend the next 15 minutes, try to just like brainstorm all the different genres of music, we probably could. Yeah. And, and I'm wondering what the next like big movement will be. I often think about that, not so much on the music sense, even though it obviously has a strong correlation. But I remember before the scenester era, you know, which was like the later after my high school year, but before the scenesters with the, the boys wearing the girls pants, everything's black, everything is like big and hyper colorful. And they had the swoops over their hair. And usually it'd be like totally blonde or totally dyed black. And not relating to it, just going, fuck, that's not me. But like the shirts we sold on tour, I would not wear, but they're the shirts we sold on tour, right? Then all of a sudden the hipster thing happened and I'm like, no shit. I just saw in my life the full evolution and dying off of a social movement, if you will, like 
that I was not a part of because everything up until that point, even if I wasn't like a, a white boy wearing G money clothes or the white capper Dave Matthews guy or the uh, the raver kid, I was always the alt metalhead. It was still a part of my time. You know, it was like my peers, you know, it was my contemporaries. They, they were doing that. So now that I look at it, though, the hipster scene's got to end at some point. It's been going on for at least a decade. And I'm curious to what it's going to be next. And inevitably, we'll have that aha moment. And I'm like, interesting. But what, I, what I'm thinking with that is because with the going back to like the entry level rock thing, and now we have all these other scenes that are coming up and dying off. It seems like you could liken those old, the Claptons, the Jimmy Pages, the Hendrixes to like Babe Ruth or like Wilt Chamberlain, like these these sure. titans back then that because the pool was so small sure that they were they were so great because they were the greatest out of their pool but if you threw them in today not to not to, at all to discredit what they right. did for the instrument because they guitar is so young they push the instrument forward sure but if you put them today with all these like super technical because they've had like 30 40 years lead on or right after them to build off of them would they still be the same the one thing that they had going for them is that they didn't have any preconceived notions of what to do. Like we can kind of like take for granted that Hendrix was making that crazy sound with the distortion and the bombs, you know, at, at Woodstock. I know, like, for example, whenever I would buy like a new guitar pedal when I was younger, I always noticed that I had the most creative juice and inspiration that first time I played with it. I'd be coming up with all these and I could do this and then I could do that. Holy crap. What if I did this and I did that? And I think a lot of those cats got to actually like as they were inventing rock you know they they had certain levels of blues expression before that but you know they're using distortion they're using louder drums they're using the the rock arrangement you know they had the um the spiritual freedom of going through unchar uncharted waters they could really tune into whatever the hell was going on and, and these were the you know especially like uh, you know i really respect jimmy page i, I think he had a particular feel that no one else really does. Even all the rock bands in the 80s that followed them, trying to like mimic them, White Snake, or you know, we could just go through any of the heart, any of that stuff. It still is a very rigid 4-4 version of whatever Jimmy Page was doing. And I think that's like a soul thing. I, you know, I think that um it, you know, there might be certain levels of development that if we perceived Page free of everything he had done before because i think it would be hard for us to actually conceptualize jimmy page for doing what he's doing now without recognizing how we've already decided to view him you know he he just wrote riffs that were so unique and so memorable and then clapton he wailed and he had expression he had like a gritty british white boy Im impression uh, uh, or uh, expression based off of the black r&b blues of the states but it was new and unique. I always, I'm always reluctant to criticize the music of the time for not being the music of the past. I remember I was giving a lecture at University of Rochester, and a student had asked me if, like, you know, something along that lines, like, do you think that the, the music of today lacks feeling compared to what it was before? And, um, I think out of being sensible and also being a musician who's trying to push the bounds and very, very aware of why I was doing what I was doing and then having to receive criticism when people just didn't understand that. I think it kind of demanded an empathy out of myself, you know, um, towards other musicians. 
But like when I would look at it, like, okay, so a lot of the deathcore bands that were happening during my time, like if they had like a rest where the whole band was a tight rest, right? And they would produce it to have like digital silence where a standard before would be, it would be quiet, but you'd still have the ambience of the room. Who's to say which one's better? You know, because all value is like this illusion, you know, created by humans and it's not real, but it's a game we play regardless. So uh, things now seem to be a little more polished in the recording. They can be tweaked for better, or for worse in a certain way, but it's always the artist making the decision or, or the group of artists, whether, you know, it's like, this is my song, this is my engineer paid by these people who want it to be done this particular way, you know, and then, you know, there's this million different stars that align for each project and hopefully the right stars will align at the right time for enough liberal groove to happen and really cool things can overcome any influence that isn't based off of like monetary or, you know, a mass minded conformist ideal. But anyway, so what I'm getting at is that uh, it doesn't seem that just because it's not doing what it was before, it doesn't mean that the artist isn't feeling what they're doing, isn't envisioning the music to be that particular way for whatever reason. You might not relate to it, but you're also kind of at a disadvantage if you've already had enough experience in the past to relate to other types of music. It would take a an awareness to say, this isn't the music of the past that I'm listening to. This is the music of now. You're, you are more than welcome to like and dislike it and judge, compare, but to be so bold to say that the, the music of today or the artist of today is lacking a certain um, general integrity, I think is just kind of um, lacking insight, kind of lazy. <laughs> I guess it's lazy. Or, or you know, I, I think sometimes the artists, they want to be critical too, you know, I, I find that, you know, we're like trying to judge things and that it, it's cool. There's a curiosity there. It's philosophical. I, I know the biggest mistakes I make in my life are when I'm absolutely sure of myself. Like definitely, like there's always this huge confidence. So I think it's very safe, humble and productive to always be questioning even yourself about it. So. And then going off of that, I'm, I'm wondering now, it seems like, like we were saying, we all have this similar entry point into the industry. If it's the industry itself kind of trying to cling on to this time when they, when uh, genre was clearly defined and the music industry was very homogenous because you had your rock, you had your disco, you had your clearly defined parameters mm. and they still had some sort of control, like these cabals of record companies. So I'm wondering if this is them still like slinging the things they still have control over at the like stubbornly to, yeah just to try to continue to make money off of the music that was developed while they still had control of it because like you were saying today uh genre is so fluid and there's all these different systems flying around it's much harder to like grasp all of these different things that are happening and like try to monetize all of them it's easier to just like sell a bunch of like iron maiden or nirvana uh shirts to kids at hot topic i think some of that stuff is and I, I use this term loosely like is already geared for the masses if you will i think there are even though the internet exists right and everyone has access and the point that everyone even in the most desolate areas have access to all this new stuff is absolutely worth noting and will balance out my next remark but i think there's still some weight in pointing out the the other side of it where there are still just masses of averaged intelligent worker ants out there who are just getting fed what they get fed. And they're, you know, they're like, pizza is a healthy food because it has all the, you know, food groups in it, you know, just whatever. 
so you know and and you know just they just kept getting fed the associations of what good music is this is the exposure blah 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 whatever new groups they do decide to play on the radio over and over again or whatever is working before and if it works then it works whatever you know and and i don't know if they're necessarily in the industry to be artists you know they might be just in the industry to make money another interesting thing is that um the the drummer for that project that i want to complete now that is more of my passion when we stopped doing that we recorded the drums and the percussion he 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 had done a year at like berkeley got mono came home really exceptional dude real exceptional dude is like his name is ike schultz he looks like a tall Asian. His mom is like Asian. His dad is like German, German, German. And they're Brazilian citizens and Canadian citizens and U.S. citizens because like his parents are both like wicked engineering geniuses and stuff. So they got, you know, they moved around for certain projects and, and were granted citizenship. Real interesting kid. Really, really bright. We, we got connected after his Berkeley thing. We did the project and then I got lost in my world. And he went to engineering school in Arizona, did that for 14 months, got a swank gig, like engineered half the last Lady Gaga album, engineered the last Adele album with like, he's under the main dude who did it, but he did all the grunt work. And then the dude came in, smoked cigarettes and said, this sounds good. And that sounds right. You know, like the first time I talked to him, he was like, yeah, Chris, I just finished recording Stevie Wonder playing harmonica in here. And I'm like, fuck off. <laughs> you know, like I love Stevie Wonder. So he he always has some really interesting insights to what's going on in the industry. And he was like, you know, when we were like looking at like, all right, let's try to get this project done. And we talk about what we expect to happen and how he was saying that what the the way the industry has kind of changed is that now, not that you they didn't want you to tour before, but now that's ex that's how they expect you to make the money. It's like they've changed it where, okay, we're going to record the album so people can be familiar with the songs and who they know who you are. And yes, we'll make some level of profit, but not really because the, the industry has changed. The exposure and the ability to download anything for free, which, you know, everyone's guilty of, has changed the, the face of the re recording industry. But so then you have these now what bands do is they basically are put on tour and then it's run by the labels and that's how the labels make money now so i i you know because like okay so then we look at like do now that we don't have rock heroes and and earlier you know i like to use this term terminology of like myth like mythology where the you know you would go to the show it was a religious experience i'm sure there are young people going to sh their first few shows to the band that they listen to all the time and there still is that like religious experience of going to a show you know i'm older now i've probably lost i've lost touch with that somewhat so uh, you know i it's not hard for me to expect that that's still happening but you know now that everyone's so accessible just i don't think that there are as many untouchable celebrities anymore and with that we're not so mythological anymore and we're not creating these people to put on the cover of the magazines anymore or the people that are like because even the the people that are on the cover like okay so we got toasting from animal as leaders and then we have um i can't believe i haven't remembered the name of the, any of the bands there's like a few like proggy kind of metal bands that have very good players that will at times catch the cover of a guitar magazine with like 70 year old Steve I. But these aren't bands that are like being played on the radio. You know, they they haven't transcended into that market, but Clapton was played on the radio. Even Steve I was played on the radio. You know, it, some of his instrumentals, Joe Ciatriani surfing with the alien. You could hear that summer, summer song. You could hear that on the radio in the past. Uh, 
if I was to tell you, you have one minute to sing to me a Jimi Hendrix song, you could one minute to sing a Stevie Ray Vaughan song. These are all songs that like touch the masses. There aren't any guitar heroes that are really touching the masses like that, you know, even the ones that maybe are the up and comers that would the industry just doesn't sell it like that anymore. Because again, there's just so many interests that I don't think people are like freaking out because I'm just trying to think of like the people I know who are kind of like coming up. I know there's this guy who really didn't do it for me. I'm not saying he was a bad guitarist, but they're like selling him as like the next Stevie Ray Vaughan. And he would constantly come up on my Facebook thread or, you know, feed or whatever, you know, he's paid for. And I'm definitely in a demographic or something that would be interested in it. Don't really give a fuck about the guy, but I can't see him. Not that it's impossible, but I can't see him making it onto the radio. And like, I'm wondering, because I don't listen to the radio as much, who in, in the rock genre is getting played on the radio anymore? It's like almost that will die. The only thing I can think of would be country music still stays pretty up to par because people just love it and it's not electronic music and they're just going to be, but I don't think you and I are particularly experts on country because we haven't mentioned a single country, you know, outside of I toured with, you know, arguably one of the biggest names in country music. <laughs> I don't know very much about country, but th then the, the, the club music, you know, that's, that still has new stuff and that still, you know, top 40 cause they, you know, they, they have very short life, you know, they glow while they're successful and then they just completely die out, you know? Um, yeah, but rock's dying. But it, it, the one thing that we could speculate that it might come back is that there's ebb and flow, generally speaking, especially with like subculture. And rock has a lot of subculture roots. So, I mean, the, I, the million dollar question would be what would the next, how do you diffuse what's going on right now in our music culture to create the next big phenomena? But then you also have to remember that's kind of like a means to an end lacking soul if you will, you really should just be doing what's right for you. And if it conveniently gets recognized, well, aren't you a lucky duck? You know, the two things that seem to play into that is one, it's uh, shifted genres, the people that we deify, because now where we had, you know, Jimmy Page, uh, Jimi Hendrix, we have Kendrick Lamar and all these uh, hip hop artists. Kendrick oh, OK. See, I, weird thing about me is, though, last couple of 10 years, like I'll listen to like some pop music. I've just been listening to all this other shit that I didn't listen to before. Mm -hmm. Like I got into jazz hardcore, mm -hmm. like before jazz and classical was kind of a blanket term for this genre of music. I really knew nothing about. I can actually talk proficiently about jazz now. I, I am a little more educated because of school with what, you know, a lot of people just think classical is anything with an orchestra. And now we realize, well, classical is actually a certain era. And then you have, you know, the romantic era, the impressionistic era, you know, shit like that. I have no idea what the fuck's going on right now. Like I got one friend who turned me on to this elephant re revival group from Washington. They're folk. And I'm like, oh my God, this is actually fucking great. Like I haven't paid attention to much to Wilco, but all my buddies worship Wilco. I actually, I'm now just getting into Dave Matthews, which happened like 25 years ago. And it's funny because we often say like, it'll come up like we could probably find like a black and white picture of me, like heading a let's kill Dave Matthews rally when I was younger. But when I changed everything I was listening to, the Dave Matthews thing, I realized when I'm listening to all of the other bands that are jam bands and stuff, why they stood out and why they are the side. Whether you like them or not, you can't argue that they're fucking humongous, you know, and I, I appreciate that. But um, yeah, I have no idea what's fucking going on now. And, it, and it's it makes me feel old. You know, it really does that. Like, I remember you know, 20 years ago, I knew everything that was happening in, in modern music, you know, everything shit. I had no business knowing I knew everything. And the weird thing with music always changing 
every year you have no idea what's going on. You're just burying yourself deep. Like I, I Fantagram, I got into them like and they're been around for a while. <laughs> and it's just like my like if I had kids hanging out and I was saying, yes, I got this. I would totally understand if they were getting mad at me for trying to do something that's not me. You know, fortunately, I'm not worrying about that. <laughs> but, but it's weird. Yeah. So um, you're, you're talking about hip hop artists. Yeah. So it's like what you could do right now is you could kind of draw parallels between rock and roll back in the the 50s and 60s and hip-hop because rock and roll was like pretty new it was pretty it, it was kind of on the edge at the time and then out of that kind of new movement these titans grew out and so now we're kind of in that timeline hip-hop being relatively new because it really came into the public eye 80s uh, yeah like late 80s 90s and now uh hip-hop is the rock and roll of the 2000 2000s so now we have kanye we have kendrick and we have these other deified figures of uh of genre and the other thing i'm thinking about is when it just when it comes to rock is it seems like it's it's gotten so big where it's it just reached its capacity and now we have art rock and we have post rock and we have noise rock and we have garage rock and now it's just become so big that it's just like splintered off into these other uh subgenres yeah subgenres so it, whether or not there's going to be a big like rock revival where everything kind of comes back who knows maybe they'll just split off into these uh fringe groups and then something will grow out one of that fringe that group might blow up yeah 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 we'll find out don't know man i mean as long as there's um people pushing the envelope you know i think it's something will happen you know as a guitarist you know bum me out if all of a sudden no one wanted to hear guitar anymore but at the same time it's not about me <laughs> you know like it like the electronic music is pretty fucking exciting and it is i think there's a part of electronic music in early stages where it wasn't something that i would want to listen to on a regular basis now it's pretty good i mean it has a lot to offer there's a lot of different expression a lot of variables being attacked and it makes sense that that would be the future and then you just question what place do people actually performing their instruments have in it and to say it should be one way or the other, I'm a nihilist, so it, I don't think anything should be one way or the other. It's going to be, you know. But that being said, I am a guitarist, and if and like if I'm recognizing these other ideas are happening, I mean, it's my responsibility to make do and express with the tools I, you know, I have, and to, you know, fuck with reality the best way I can. And if I'm recognizing it, like for example, I I would like to have. I, I'm so not materialistic, but I would I would appreciate having like a four thousand dollar, five thousand dollar rig of like electronic gear, like MIDI pickups and everything just for my guitar, you know, because I do think at this stage in it, there is a certain human effect with expression, whether it's the imperfection of the rhythm or if it's just literally that like intangible way of bending a note or sliding you know, there's different types of things you will come up with depending on how you're writing. And um, there is a very popular tool called Guitar Pro for guitarists. And there are times when I might range stuff with Guitar Pro. And then because I'm already arranging, I might write riffs within Guitar Pro. And if you stick with Guitar Pro for too long, for better or for worse, it's going to start sounding a certain way. And it might be nice for it to sound a certain way, especially if it's contrasting other songs on an album that don't sound that particular way. But that being said, when I actually pulled my guitar and I'm writing riffs and I'm coming up with stuff that way, it's going to be more... Uh, it's real, you know, uh, human, um, 
<laughs> I don't know. My vocabulary is slipping me right now. But, you know, things are going to come out a different way. I mean, if anything, because my brain's just operating in a different plane at that point. Yes, there are certain things that are going to relate. Like an E will always be an E. Uh, the notes in an arpeggio will always be in an arpeggio. You might write a riff that's in... Um, 11, 16, and it sounds fucking right versus you going, man, I'd like to write a riff in 11, 16, and then just keep throwing spaghetti at the wall until it sticks and it looks like a mosaic of, you know, Mother Teresa or some bullshit. So with that being said, that might be a different form of how music's written, but who's to say that that's the ideal? At the same time, it, saying it would be ideal, it makes it binary and that's kind of stupid. You know, it's a part of the wide spectrum of options, you know, like I would be intimidated to start writing the electronic music today because I'd have to learn how to even operate the stuff. And then I'd have to like accept that. How long is it going to be until I can really come up with something that is revolutionary in its own right, even on a microscopic level, you know, like, like standing out, that's me, you know, like I was saying, like with the, you know, I started studying the jazz stuff and then I had to start studying a different style of music theory than what I was doing with Psyopus. But now that it's been like four or five years, I, I could start explaining some very cutting edge ideas I have for organizing notes in a forum that would work with jazz or improv or, you know, any soloing composition. And in, in fact, like any melodic ideas, I suppose. Um, and in voicings, har a lot of harmony ideas that are, are pretty cool. A lot of them exclusive to how you play the guitar. But that took time, you know, and you have to really want to be patient with that, you know, and it's, it's hard to go back when you've already mastered certain other things. Sometimes it's a new frontier that you'd be excited about. But I think the the direction of the electronic music is is probably what's going to be most exciting, you know, just but then, you know, it, it's weird, because I think this I, I'm, I'm speculating again, like, we're talking about this resurgence of rock. And like, you then you wonder, like, are you putting what rock is up on a pedestal? Like, that's, that's the goal. That's what we really fucking want. And I could support that. And then I'm saying like, there's something corny about going to a, an EDM show and there's just a dude standing on a table behind his two Mac computers, <laughs> you know, and he's just waving his hands. But then again, who the fuck am I to judge what's cool and what's not? I mean, really, there's people there listening to music that's turning them on and they're having a good fucking time. That's what it's about. And whether there's 2,000 people at this huge fucking, you know, like EDM show, or if there's 75,000 people in an arena to see you too, who's to say which art's better, which the direction should go? Like, why does it have to be so fucking big? Um, I mean, if we wanted to brainstorm, there's a million reasons why it would be great to just have art in, without any fucking capital fucking aim, you know? Because then the, the, the capital's nice in that it can allow you to support artists give them more time to really like lose, you know, go into the depths. Cause that's one of the issues I have right now, like where I have so many other responsibilities in my life. And I also think a lot of times, like when we've had, you know, like um, there's artists we look up to and their later catalog isn't so hot. And you have to imagine their hormones are different. They have children, they have wives, they have all these other responsibilities where before whatever put them in that position, they probably had a lot more dedicated to just writing fucking music. That kind of focus was probably driven by, you know, a will to write music really good and just that idea. So where am I going with all that? I don't fucking remember. Whatever. I'm sure it was so important. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I can't remember. Now, one thing that I'm sure people will want me to ask is, uh, have you ever thought about going back and doing some more Psyopa stuff? I do um, think about that. There's a number of different things going on in my world. One of the advantages to Psyopus was that was the only thing I wanted to do. That was my passion. I remember part of me learning my own theory. I also didn't want to learn any other theory. I wanted to cultivate the most unique music I could. And yes, you could go through and analyze and go, I might have heard this here. I might have heard it there. But the mission statement was to come up with the most unique music. And I think I did a good job on that, despite the fact that, yes, people have played guitar before. Yes, people have used harmonics and distortion and just in minor second chords. There's a couple things I could say, like, find that chord somewhere. But like, and I'm still saying I dare anyone who's listening to this to find my fucking ARP chord in any song. But, um, but that was the only focus. Now I have this other focus that like, so at one point, this is where I'm at right now with the music shit. So I'm like trying to figure out, now I've got a number of different things I want to work on. All right, so I want to become this proficient fusion jazz guitarist, which all those tools could work in Psyopus, but it, it's still, I'm not, it's not so much about the composition. I'm just like, I'm really learning to like extend my guitar from my body, you know, where with the composition, I could get lost in my head, write down my cool ideas, move on. It's not the same with this idea of how I spend time playing guitar. Then I have the Tulu Kona Gaia project, which will work that as work as well with that because I, I, it's something that I'm assuming could do the jam band circuit and then jam, you know, jam band would imply improvising and that would work. But that takes a lot of focus and energy. And that's really where most of my passion is. Plus, I refinished recording the drums and the percussion, half the guitars. Like it really would be an injustice for me not to finish that. Plus, my closest friends don't even know what it sounds like yet. You know, it's just like we know that, you know, I have my friends who believe in me and whatever I'm going to do, they're going to be like interesting, you know, like. All right. Okay, you did that, <laughs> right? And they have no idea what this sounds like. So I think it, there's just like that part of me, that God part of me that creates like it I feel like I need to finish that. Then twice, well two more than twice, but like in two sections of my life, Phil and Samuel from Pantera, the singer, had like reached out to me to start a new metal band and be his guitarist and like I wrote like 70 riffs and four songs. But it was like the first time for sure. It was like after I just took a break and it's like he wanted me to I didn't have what it took to put all the energy into it. And as much as like I had posters of Phil and Sam in my room growing up and I loved Pantera, I wasn't as obsessed with metal. Like if he had wrote, called me like maybe three years earlier, maybe something more would have happened from that. Yeah, it's just like. There's a part of me that goes, if, if you told 21-year-old Chris Arp that later in life, Phil and someone's going to be contacting you about starting a project and you're going to blow it off because you're not too into it, you would kick your own ass, you know? But to thine own self be true. For whatever reason, I'm not focusing on that. But then there's three. So there's like, I could continue doing Psyopus stuff. I could continue doing, oh, <laughs> I didn't say the Psyopus. Jazz Fusion. Tulu Konagaya, Psyopus, Phil and Samuel. And then there's uh, like speculative ideas of like, I have this weird country music proggy thing I could do that Hank would probably be willing to work with. And um, I had already talked about him, about possibly having Dave Lombardo, the drummer from Slayer doing it, and Les Claypool playing bass. It's not impossible. It sounds ridiculous, but it's not impossible. It's totally a goal <laughs> worth going for, right? So they're all projects that seem worthwhile to do. And plus, there's this part of me that wants to just be able to go busk and play guitar by myself on the side of the street and just do that, which is a different discipline, which could be very fulfilling for myself. But that's a whole nother thing. So that, okay, so that's five or six, I don't know, I lost count, different things to work on. And I also have all these new responsibilities in my life. So 
it's like, I don't know what the fuck to do. So I like went through and I like did a pro and con list with all of that shit. And I decided right now I'm going to focus on the Tulu Konagaya project. When that is done, whatever happens from it, cool. But when it's obvious it's time to start working on something else, I'll start working on something else. And the Psyopis idea comes up. I think I still have another like crazy album in me. And I've definitely worked on enough music concepts that I feel like I could do it justice, you know, by like, because um, again, that came from such the elitist point of view. And there's so much the idea of perfectionism, you know, within my writing with it that like I'm assuming well, it's it's a challenge to write that shit if I don't like anything I'm coming up with because it just it won't work. So I don't know. It might happen someday. You know, if if the Tulu Kona guy, thing just doesn't happen and I'm like, it, there might be a moment where I have to like look myself in the face and go, for whatever reason, this isn't fucking happening. Why don't you do what you know what to do and fucking do Psyopus? And, but it, it, my last point on that is like I was I was thinking about it earlier, how like when I was growing up and I was a fan of bands and, you know, I would think things like, why don't you just put another album out for your fans, man? Don't you fucking know? Or, you know, weird things that you think of as a fan. And now I see what it's like on the other side of the coin. I mean, tonight I'll tell be true. You know, I'd be doing what I'd be doing if I wanted to be doing it. You know, the door is never closed on that. I just, I can. It's just a matter of whether or not I want to start writing goofy metal. And um, to do that, I would have to decide that I'm not doing anything else because it really it requires that type of intense focus to to actually accomplish, you know. Now, until you have that moment with yourself, when can we expect to hear the Toluca Gaia stuff? Well, my initial goal was to have it finished by the end of this year. Um, I'm falling behind on that. Hopefully within the next year and a half, I'm hoping. If you go to my Facebook, the top my top canvas as my like New Year's resolution is to get signed to Atlantic Records in 2017. <laughs> and Ike, the drummer dude who does the engineering stuff, has a lot of ends with Atlantic Records. So it's like a very specific label for that purpose. So the only thing holding me back is just the creative energy on it, like getting all the rest of the songs and everything tweaked out just right because I can fly to California and record all of it for free in the best studios. As far as mixing and mastering, engineering goes, I already told you, Ike has, a, you know, he already has like records, you know, like gold records and shit. So he'll take care of that for free. So really, all I need to do is finish my creative process, make sure my chops are up to par, pay for a ticket to go fly down to L.A. and just hang out there for a week and a half. We, we have access to good studios. He even has like a he has a smaller apartment, but apparently he has like a vocal thing in there and shit. Oh, I'm singing on that, too. That's the other thing. Remember, I started off wanting to sing. I'm, that That's the other thing, too. Like it, it just takes um. Like I'm inspired by all these exceptional vocalists. So like I'm demanding for myself that I have this wide range of, you know, like Marvin Gaye, Steve, Stevie Wonder, you know, I don't know how familiar I am with Jeff Buckley, but he's just the Jesus of vocalists. So, so I'm, I, I, I'm, I've been like doing a lot of vocal, like if right now I'd be doing my vocal exercises right now. So that's a part of it. So hopefully in the next year and a half, I, I can get something done. Like worst case scenario, it just gets done and I get to share it best case scenario, I get to actually pursue that because it is my musical passion. Now, I would love it if someone backed it enough where we get to perform it, you know, but baby steps. Let's actually finish 
finish that crap. Well, you have to, so it can be be full circle. You like your vocalist dream will be come to fruition. Yeah, yeah. Now, where can we hear more from you? Where can we find your Exploding Fingers guides? Where can we listen to your music? Well, explodingfingers.com is where my I sell my books. You search Psyopus on YouTube. I'm sure you can find anything you're looking for. Uh, you can you can go to the explodingfingers.com website and join the mailing list. I'll usually do it in bursts, like a month or so. You might get a lot of emails from me. You might not get anything from me for a couple months after that. But if you want to keep up to date with that, you would be able to keep up to date with the new song coming out or anything. Anything that would be news related with me and or the bands I'm involved with, I probably will send out an email thing. So you could just sign up for the email list through there. That's a good way to do it. And then otherwise, just find me on Facebook, man. I'm freaking constantly on there talking stupid shit. You know, because I I'll like if you want to do guitar lessons with me, I have a lot of online students and they usually get a hold of me through that. Yeah. So and I practice a lot of guitar. So my computer is usually there. So anytime I have like a stupid, you know, quip that comes up to my mind, I might just type it on the board and share it with the universe. So that that's probably a good way to figure out what else is going on. with me. just become friends with me on Facebook. <laughs> Thank you to Chris for taking the time to sit down with me and answer all of those questions. I really appreciate it. In the description, I'll have links for his music and his guitar guides. And if you want to keep up with the podcast, find us on SoundCloud or go to truefolktv.com slash podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.